Welcome to the Harvest House Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, you can find us at harvesthouse.live.
visitation is when the visitation becomes the goal. So then we spoke last uh, Sunday, I believe it was, about signs and wonders of the first year before, and how that signs and wonders were always intended to point to something, that, that we were to steward that, that that was something that was going to come, but it was much like Moses said, um, that idea of we've got to be a people that wherever he goes, I'll go, and that in the midst of um, us finding, show me your ways that I might know you. So how do we allow those signs as they come, those wonders as they come, to continue to in some way demonstrate to us who he is? And we spoke as well about how we are to remember his goodness, because part of how we're going to do this is by seeing what he has done in the past and allowing that to be a reminder of what he has for us. So in an instance where maybe we are feeling some, um, you know, we're facing some challenge, let's use a financial challenge that we're facing, what we can hold on to if we're not, because there are some days, I don't know about you, but there are some days that I just wake up and I'm like, God, can do anything you want, I'm so lost. And then there's other days that I wake up and I just feel like it's just me. Build character and 
equals more than enough for your place in life. There's a phrase that I'm going to use, and I read this in a book, so I don't, I don't claim this by any means, but it, it's, it's helped me to kind of understand or redefine some language for, um, for what I'm, I'm trying to express. And the phrase is um, being in your lane. So abundance is more than enough for your lane. See, there's, there's something that happens um, in our um, in our life where we have a tendency to sometimes struggle with staying in our lane. And there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, I could really pull that's what the paradox says I could I could really rabbit trail on this for a while because there's so many different applications. But restlessness is something that is very much human. The idea that we always want the grass is always greener. I mean, you think about all the different ideas. That thought is we get we get kind of settled and we think, you know, we begin to think um, that, well, you know, this thing over here looks really good. I should do that. Or we begin to think that why am I not like them or why don't I do this? And honestly, I think that the church has actually, and, and so I would say 60% American culture and 20 um, uh, it's to blame. I don't know if I can use the word blame, but um, has done a disservice because there has been a thought within Christendom, especially, that we need to look and think and act like everyone else. The church doesn't do well when we don't seek the Lord. It's stuck. The church doesn't do well. they've probably been run out of most churches. Why? Because conformity is easy. Conformity is, meaning from a leadership perspective, it's much easier to lead people who will conform to this, because you and I may have this stuff. But to empower people to be who they're supposed to be, that's a, that's a tough thing to do, and, and I, I can speak that from experience. And I think that what happens is we have a tendency to struggle um, because we've been taught that we need to do this or do this or do this or do this, and there becomes this tendency to struggle with being in our lane. And the thing about staying in your lane is that staying in your lane is the place where you can embrace identity and become at rest with who He's created you to be, knowing the only way you will be content is when you demonstrate His image, and the best way that you demonstrate His image is in the identity He's
was in the prison wasn't a palace. It was being promoted to leader of the prison. But it was still abundance. Where we have a problem is we lay down in this thing of our language, staying home, for the comparison game. Let me just say this, and, and honestly, I get this is a bold statement, but I would maybe be able to say this is the most important thing I've said all night. Comparison will always fail. Comparison to someone else will always fail you. Because comparison to someone else will either drive you to some type of um, condemning them or condemning yourself if they're if you find them to be better or elevated. So it gets you to blame them or to find fault in them or to fall into condemnation and shame in and of yourself because I'm not good enough. Or if you find yourself to be better than them, comparing of yourself to another, all it does is condone complacency that is potentially less than your to be. It doesn't matter if I'm the best guitar player in the building. It matters if I'm as good as he's called me to be. See, there's some people, uh, Dustin is an example. Dustin can probably um, be the, the best drummer around and never ever talk. He's just naturally gifted. Just comes naturally. But that's not the point. So he can compare himself to everybody else around and not invest himself into his gift because it comes naturally. Comparing himself to everybody else will only bring complacency. It's to compare yourself to what you're supposed to be that then calls you to come up higher. You get it? So abundance for your lane is important because abundance for your lane is going to look very different for all of us. The reason I want to address this specifically in this conversation about the kingdom of heaven is because I believe the Lord is wanting to establish a people that are prosperous in every way. Let me even cut these subjects for just a minute. Prosperous in every way. Once again, prosperous in your lane might look different than prosperous in somebody else's lane.
come promotion to church. Deal with it. Emotionally sound enough to navigate adverse winds to the degree that we would be like a sailor that when an adverse wind comes, we know how to adjust the sail, adjust the rudder, is 
when you're looking at what this what the scripture says in this regard, Jesus says that it's manifested in us. In fact, repeatedly when Jesus would heal people, he would say to them, he wouldn't even say you're now healed, what he would say is the kingdom of heaven has come upon you. Why? Because it's here. So, prosperity and abundance for your life starts here and then is demonstrated outwardly. However, if we struggle with unforgiveness, or let me say this way, if we struggle with forgiveness, the ramifications of this cause us to be in anxiety, in fear, in shame, in lack, in some regard. We lose abundance for that lane of our life. Because the enemy knows that at that point I'm not going to be able to operate effectively because I've been crippled by whatever it is I've been faced with. And as soon as I get into anxiety and fear, I lose the ability. I'm at least handicapped in my ability to hear and function well. So, the enemy recognizes that he doesn't want to have a spiritual war with me. He wants to have an emotional war. And so what we, he does is he brings us into these things. Let's say for, uh, forgiveness is an example that we struggle with. But it's going to have natural ramifications. There are literally people who have physical health ramifications because of unforgiveness and bitterness. Verse 11, being 
here by giving them the gospel. Do you see how many measureless words are in this passage? All and every? Those are measureless words. So, baptism tent is to bring us there. Now, uh, now we can start. So, probably need my last and go go to take about forty five minutes to get through. So, Matthew chapter nineteen um, is is a great passage. Matt, or a, a great chapter. Matthew chapter nineteen actually has three passages, all of which are three stories, all of which deal with Jesus going at a hard issue. Issue. I'm, I'm using the term worship issue not because I really think it's the perfect phrase, but it's all I'm using. So just bear with me and hear what I'm, I'm meaning to say. And so what I would like to suggest to you is that abundance always is going to start with a heart issue. Because when you're talking about him being Lord and him being someone that God being able to cause you to be prosperous in your life, it then starts overlapping to all of these multifaceted areas of who you are. Once again, you contrast this whole topic. So, what he does, specifically in several of these situations, is he goes for the heart. So, you've got this situation where the rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and I'm going to paraphrase in Matthew 19. And Jesus um, uh, speaks to him, and, and he asks Jesus about the kingdom of heaven, and let me just say this. ridiculous. But I've heard that my whole life. And I've heard people try to spin it. I've heard people try to twist it and say, well, it's not about, it's not about being rich, but it's about, about your money controlling you. Well, okay. Well, you can, I'm sorry, you can paint it and put a bow on it, but if it paints, it's still a painting. And so the thing that I find about that passage is that we have to look at the language that he used. And he's coming to Jesus and he's saying, Shall hardly enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a 
saying. So now they're saying, okay, so who is going to be able to enter into this born-again thing we've been talking about where we are changed? Keep in mind, this is not about the afterlife. We hear saved and we automatically go post-cross. The cross hadn't happened yet. So the saved they were talking about is not the same saved we're talking about. So when you see this, Peter then, I love Peter, because Peter's the guy that was willing to ask the questions. All of them are thinking they have no idea what Jesus is talking about. Peter's just the one who's willing to say he doesn't know what Jesus is talking about. So thank God for Peter, because he helps all of us along. So Peter asks him, he says, Behold, we've forsaken all and followed you. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, that you which have followed me in the regeneration, and the Son of Man shall sit on the throne, you'll sit on me on twelve thrones. He's then talking specifically to the disciples. This is a disciple promise for them. Okay? Then he says, though, all of them that have forsaken houses, brothers, sister, father, mother, wife, children, land, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and inherit everlasting life. Now, I've given you on your sheet Mark's, Mark's uh, uh, gospel account of this because there's a couple things that Mark says that I find to be important. Number one, notice when it says in Mark 10 that Jesus answered unto Jesus. Mark 10, 24. How hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter the kingdom of heaven? Here's the deal. The idea that Jesus was going for is you have, imagine having this person that came to you and they said, look, I feel like I'm a good Christian. I have, I have prayed the prayer accepting Jesus into my life. I go to church on a regular basis. I tithe. I give offerings. I, I donate my time at the church. I, I, I pray. I read my Bible. All of this stuff. I'm just trying to give a comparison that's similar to what he said to Peter to do. Okay? Or us. And we, what Jesus did is he goes right to the heart because it had nothing to do Because you're unwilling to allow him to be to reign supreme in the avenue of trust. It wasn't really even about money. But Jesus said, You have to be willing to go. What are you going to do? Give it all away to the poor and follow me. And he walked away with his head down because he was free to leave. Now, here's why I would like to that it's not about money. It's always about trust. It's always about leadership. Because the next story we have in just uh, the next passage over um, is this story of this guy named Zacchaeus. Now, you guys have heard of Zacchaeus. Um, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Worse than that, he was the scum of the scum. In fact, the only people that the Israelites hated more than they hated the Romans were the Zacchaeus. 
scum in the eyes of the Israelites. Not only does Jesus say, hey, I'm going to your house, but imagine how that looked. He literally picked the guy that would possibly destroy his reputation the worst. He says, hey, I'm going for coffee at this house.
the story of a wealthy landowner that, if you remember, he leads people to work in the vineyard, and he goes about and at the beginning of the day, so let's say 6 o'clock, how many of you sing to me like our church is here? Because there's no other other class in the school. Um, so at, at 6 o'clock in the morning, he has workers that go out and they work in the vineyard, and they start working, and they're doing an awesome job, and then he recognizes that, mm, that you know, we don't have enough workers to get all this done. We've got one, it, it's like when around here in Indiana, it's time to, to um, you know, whether it's harvesting corn or even hay. Hay's a big one, because, you know, if you, if you cut the hay and then it lays out there and gets wet, we have really specific timings that we've got to deal with, and so they recognize, oh, we've got a, 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 a very specific uh, minute amount of time that we can get this done, a uh, finite amount of time. And so what's going to happen is now at noon, we're going to go find more people, and, and we tell all of these people at 6 o'clock that if you come work for me, you're going to get $200 to work for me for the day. The people that they go, uh, excuse me, let me back up. Technically speaking, he says he's going to give them fair wages or just wages. Just, I will pay you a fair wage. Okay, just tuck that in there. He goes out at noon and he gets more people to come out. And he says, if you'll come work for me, I'll give you just wages or fair wages. I will pay you fairly. At 4 o'clock, they recognize we still don't have enough people, so they'll go get more people. At 5 o'clock, they don't have enough people, so they'll go get more people. 6 o'clock, the end of the day comes, it's dark, and they all line up to be paid. And the Lord uh, of, of the, the, the uh, vineyard, who's, who's speaking of God here, is goes and begins to distribute payment, and he starts with the people that have been there the shortest amount of time. So he lines everybody up, and he starts with the people that have worked for an hour. Now, the people that he brought on first, he told them he's going to pay them a certain amount of money, $200, and he says that he's going to, they know that's just wages for the day. And he goes to the people that have been there an hour, and he gives them $200. Now, he goes to the people that have been there two hours and gives them $200 goes to the people that have been there four hours and gives them $200. The whole time, the people that have been there 12 hours are thinking, I'm getting paid 200 bucks. I came on for $200. The guy that was here an hour got $200. This is going to be a good day. Like, I'm going to do really well. He pays all of them $200. And the context of this is the last So why is it, there's a couple things, why is it, A, that this speaks of honor? Because if we cannot celebrate when somebody around us receives blessing, we will then not be qualified for the next measure of blessing that he wants to pour out upon us. See, what he does in that story goes against all, it's, it's not fair. I, I have to tell you something, and I know this may sound really kind of alarming, but God isn't fair. Sorry, that probably requires like a whole other sermon. I know, because there's a lot to explain in that context. But it's just true. God doesn't deal fairly. He doesn't work in the way that we think. His, his ways aren't our ways. So the, 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 the economy of the kingdom of heaven just doesn't work like that. There are two ways that you're blessed when it 
your blessing on earth. We're not talking about your blessing and your reward when you ascend to heaven. Your reward in heaven and other things. Your reward in heaven actually is related to everything you've ever done on behalf of Him. It's specific to you, your life, and your sacrifice on behalf of Him. That's your reward in heaven. But your reward on earth is going to be defined by two categories always. Just wages or extreme grace. because he wanted the person who was there first to watch while somebody else got extreme grace. He wanted the person who had labored faithfully and was going to be paid just wages to be able to operate to such a high degree of honor that it wasn't about what was owed to them or their rights because my rights say what's owed to me. The laying down of my rights. See, you realize that until you get in the comparison game of what I got and what somebody else got, $200 doesn't seem unfair. It was just wages when they hired on. It doesn't seem unfair until we compare it to what else is given. But he forces us to Because that is the qualifier for us to experience prosperity and abundance in our lane. Because until I can rejoice and celebrate and lay down my rights for where I am and celebrate where they are and what God has done in them, I'm not going to be able to handle the persecution that comes with the abundance he's going to give. And you say, well, so, if you look at Mark chapter 10, verse 30, that you're also writing on your sheet, Jesus said to them, immediately after saying, those that trust in their riches will not be able to experience the kingdom of heaven, you realize the next thing he says is, excuse me, the disciples respond, remember they're totally blown away, seemingly amazed. And they say, we've left everything. We've abandoned all of our money, we've abandoned our family, we've abandoned our home, we've abandoned our cars, we've abandoned our jobs, we've given it all. And Jesus said, great. And you will receive a hundredfold at this time, which means now, at this time. He's talking about earthly blessings. Let me just be clear. Earthly blessings. This idea that our spirituality to God is in some way exemplified by um, um, by being by being poor or in lack or in challenge or in trouble or whatever else is just as messed up as the fact that people were trying to define that the rich people uh, and having a million dollars in your bank account means that God loves you. Both are wrong, and there are some people that really think that 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 God's physical blessing upon them in this earth is is the thing that says that God's hand is upon them. 
Jesus defines someone as being able to get up off of their bed and walk, which is a natural reality, what did he say? The kingdom of heaven has come upon you. All spiritual blessings come to confront natural realities. So, when you look at what's said here, Jesus then says, okay, you've given up all this stuff. You've given up money, you've given up houses, you've given up family. And he says that he's going to return to them because of where their trust is a hundredfold in this life with persecutions. That's a promise. Did you put that on your fridge for your wife? Your mirror, so you can smile at it when you're brushing your teeth in the morning. With persecutions. That's what it says. So think of it this way. This is the conversation. I like this. So he literally says to them, money. You can't, if you trust in it, if your trust is in that, you're going to not be able to experience the kingdom of heaven. And they, and they freak out and they're like, oh man, but Lord, we felt like if we'd given everything that we could get. And he said, you did. And you've given up all your money and that's great. I'm really glad that you did. So you know all that, uh, that, that money stuff, it's, it was, it's going to kill you. It's not even going to let you experience the kingdom of heaven in the way I want. Horrible. And then he says, but guess what? You've given it all up, so now I'm going to give you a hundred times as much of what would kill you. Testament. 
is a commandment that has been found all through the Bible. And I would encourage you, and I, I for anybody, anybody to do this. If you don't believe me that it is something that's important and that it is one of the very clear directives that will bring financial and otherwise blessing. Remember we've been talking about reciprocity and how we've been talking about tithes. There is so many reasons. So if you say money about God bless you with money, you say time, you know, all that kind of stuff. But there's also this reciprocity law that says if you start doing that, what I've experienced is I've experienced greater blessing in other avenues of my life when I became willing to let go of my wallet because it's about what I trust in and what holds me. And I would encourage you, if you don't do it and you want to tithe, don't even tithe here. Tithe somewhere else because I want you to understand that the point isn't that you want more. So if you want to test it and you don't want to question that I'm trying to, to, to get our money up, sorry, I saw my face go there. Uh, and, and you think, well, he's just really trying to get something figured out. You know what? Get it somewhere else. I don't even want it. I could care less. But what I do know is it's a commandment. And you can't even get into generosity until you follow the commandment. Okay? So Jesus says, I'm now going to take you and I'm going to cause persecution to come. The reason he makes the one who has worked all day and is going to receive just wages watch while this individual over here is getting extreme grace. He's only worked for an hour. is because you're, if you can't watch and celebrate when someone around you receives extreme grace, you're not going to be able to handle it whenever, uh, you're not going to be able to handle it whenever God is trying to bring uh, some measure of uh, hundredfold that is supposed to bring, that is supposed to bring a measure of persecution, will bring a measure of persecution with it. That's just the way it works. He's actually saying, if you don't think that that there is that you can celebrate when somebody else receives extreme grace, the reason he puts us through that is because he wants to test our ability to rejoice there. Because if you can't celebrate with somebody that you've labored among while they receive extreme grace, you're not going to hand be able to handle the persecutions that come when you get a hundredfold. He's he literally is testing you because of his mercy. Because he doesn't want his blessings to perish. That's the easiest way I can say it. Because if you get the hundredfold and you're not ready for the persecution that's going to come with that, because there is, when he increases a million, believe me, when he, you, it, it amazes me how oftentimes people, that's like when people ask, I've had people ask me, especially in travel now, that, that I would lay hands on them for a double portion of my anointing. First of all, if I could have a double portion of my anointing, I'd have it. If I could have a double portion, I would have it. Like, it's not just at the ready, otherwise I'd have it. Second of all, that would kill them if they're, if they're not at that place. God's not going to do that because the persecution that comes as a result of that, the burden that comes as a result of that, when he increases anointing, when he increases outpouring, when he increases abundance, staying in our lane is that idea, how do we blossom in the prison, and then how 
both of those things are prosperity, and both of those things are doing well in your dominion. So, lastly, this, uh, uh, honor. We've, we've set that table. Lastly, is this idea of generosity and contentment. So, um, generosity is something that, that we started going after about a year ago, and we've not really hit on a whole lot lately, but, but it has become It's, it's what are we holding to? 
what the Hebrew gives. Lordship, honor, generosity, and contentment. Paul says, I have learned to be content in all things. I just like to remind you that he says he learned it because it's not something that comes natural. Being content is not something that, that comes naturally to any of us. He says, I've learned to be content in having plenty and having not enough. I learned that it, once again, it's that lordship, it's that trust thing. Abundance in all things is that. And I'd like to go back and just say to this very last thing, why is it, why is it that he wants to give us all and every and all and every and all and every dimension in 2 Corinthians? So that we can abound for every good work. So the point of abundance is always back. Do you realize the point of abundance always comes back to you? It's like what we talked about, I think we mentioned this Sunday, but it's it's how do we get to a point that we actually become the ones that He uses to bless other people? See, the idea of this is that from there we'll learn the difference between bread and seed. You eat bread and you sow seed. Sometimes we struggle with the idea and we try to sow bread. Thank you for listening to this message from Harvest House Church. For more information, find us online at harvesthouse.live.